Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. I want to take a quick second and thank everybody who has uh, decided to download this week's episode. If you're a first-timer, then welcome aboard. And if you're our returning listener, then uh, special thanks uh, to you. And, of course, uh, to everyone who has signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. Most of you uh, are signing up for 2 bucks a month, and uh, that gets you the early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show you get them three, four days sometimes before everybody else. Uh, and your support really keeps the lights on here and uh, help, helps the show continue moving forward. Uh, so uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much uh, for that ongoing support. Let's get to the uh, question of the week. I threw it up on Twitter uh, a little earlier on uh, Saturday. And the question of the week is, uh, which team will be the club that selects Russian goaltender Yaroslav Askarov. Everybody expects he's going to be a first-round pick, probably somewhere in the uh, 10 to 20 range. Uh, but that was the question that I put out. A bunch of responses that have come into the uh, inbox. Uh, K-Mac says it's going to be the Oilers, picking uh, 14th. Jackie says she's guessing Montreal, and she's sticking to it. The uh, Canadians are uh, drafting in the number 16 spot currently. Daryl says it'll be uh, Carolina who are picking 13th. Jordan said uh, he thinks it'll be the New Jersey Devils, uh, as they have three picks. Uh, So I went back to him and uh, asked him which of the three picks he expects New Jersey to use on uh, Askarov. And he said the 18th overall. They pick 7, 18, and 20. Uh, Personally, I don't think he's going to still be there at 18, but we'll see. Tony Ferrari, who you have heard here on the uh, Pipeline show, uh, one of the guys uh, over at uh, Dauber Prospects, he says Nashville because uh, Pekka Rinne is uh, nearing the end of the line and UC Saros isn't a true starter. They have always had the tendency to build from the back end out and the netminder is key to that. Uh, and I agree. Actually, Nashville it was the team that came to mind for me. They are uh, slotted number 11 right now. And if uh, if Nashville doesn't take them, I don't think Florida will. They, they took Spencer Knight last year. Carolina does make sense. And the Oilers at 14... Uh, I just have a hard time uh, imagining the Oilers taking a Russian, especially a Russian goaltender uh, in the first round, but who knows? 
They do have other goalies in their system that I know they like. I don't know if they're uh, expecting them maybe to be bona fide number one guys. So maybe Askarov is their guy. Uh, but um, I went with uh, Toronto uh, picking 15. So Nashville was the first team for me. But if not them, then maybe Toronto at 15. Uh, the uh, responses continue to roll in. Beer League Champ says, I would love to pry 14 away from Edmonton to try to get him to Detroit. Another respondent uh, who just goes by ST says, if there's, if he's there at 14, I think uh, Ken Holland takes the swing. Hard to say, but there's a good chance he's gone before that, though. And I agree, especially if it is Nashville at 11. Uh, so you can get involved with the question of the day. You can follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy and reply to the uh, the question of the day there. Uh, not much happening in terms of uh, news and notes, except two items, and both of them fairly significant. So I guess when I say not much happening, not a lot, not a ton of stories, but two big ones. Uh, first off, in the Canadian Hockey League, the Brandon Wheat Kings were sold. Kelly McCrimmon uh, selling the team. We'll talk a lot about that in uh, segment number two today, the, the second guest segment of uh, this week's program. So I'm not going to delve into it now, but just... Huge news. Kelly McCrimmon's been a part of that organization since the 80s as uh, an owner and a GM for the longest uh, par- portion of that. Um, so it's definitely going to be a difference in the WHL without Kelly McCrimmon involved at that capacity. Uh, more on that story uh, shortly. Um, the other one is that uh, it's official now in the NCAA. The absolute earliest that uh, college hockey will start is uh, November 20th. It was officially announced this week that college hockey season is pushed back indefinitely. Again, earliest starting point uh, possible is November 20th. And that obviously due to the ongoing concerns uh, with the coronavirus and what that is doing to uh, campuses uh, south of the border. So start wondering about the spinoff effects uh, for that as that just became official here a couple of days ago. We'll see what the the follow-up is over the next uh, week or two weeks uh, to see if there's any uh, players that uh, defect to the Canadian Hockey League or go back to the USHL. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, All my guests that you're going to hear on the show today join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. And uh, I told you recently that a new program that we've started up or a new initiative, anytime you uh, place your order online for free home delivery. Well, it is free now, absolutely, no matter what cost you're spending. If you're buying 20 bucks worth or 200 or 300 bucks worth of alcohol, you go online and you book it through troubledmonk.com. You use the promo code PIPELINE, and that will be a free delivery to you. Now, you got to live in Calgary, Edmonton, Red Deer, Sherwood Park, or St. Albert, and that will show up at your door same day if you order by 1 p.m., You'll have it uh, in time for that evening's uh, festivities. That's at uh, Troubled Monk, who is the, uh, man, they make some great craft beer. If you love craft beer, it is, uh, well, their slogan is craft beer worth sharing. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. And it is wonderful. I'm telling you what, it's hard to get your hands on it now, but the Russian Imperial Stout, you just heard me crack one open. It is very, very unique. uh, And I uh, highly recommend you give it a try if you can find some. Oh, it's uh, it's amazing. Oh, that is delicious. Anyway, very pleased to uh, be able to provide that uh, that promo code for you so we can get more Troubled Monk into the hands of uh, craft beer lovers. Uh, but it's not just craft beer. They've got the hard iced tea. They've also got uh, a few different flavors of gin and the adequate vodka as well. So lots uh, there that isn't just uh, for beer lovers. Uh, so check out the website, troubledmonk.com. Make sure you tell them the pipeline shows. Let's get to the guest list. 
We're going to kick the show off this week looking at the USHL. Jeff Johnson, who writes for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids, is going to join me. The USHL scheduled to start their season in early November, but I definitely wanted to talk to Jeff about that and see where things are at, especially in Cedar Rapids, where they had a massive storm about a month ago that damaged the rink. Des Moines also had their rink damaged, so we'll talk to Jeff and get the latest there. Then we'll go to Brandon. Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun. Anything that happens in the Western Hockey League, Perry's on top of it, especially if it's uh, Wheat Kings related, as this massive story is. And Perry has been working his tail off all week on this one, so we'll uh, chat with him. Uh, actually, chatted with him a couple of days ago about it, but uh, really give some great thoughts on that. And then we'll have a back-to-back 2020 draft spotlight segments. We'll start with Zach Ewens, defenseman with Merrimack College, Canadian from Ontario, Getting some buzz about him, you know, third-ish round, somewhere in there. Uh, and then we'll end this week's show with a, uh, a player that uh, he's not going to have to wait very long to hear his name. Tim Stutzel from Adler-Mannheim. Expected to go inside the top three. Been chasing this interview for a little while. Finally was able to do it a couple of days ago. Tim Stutzel will uh, close out this week's episode of the Pipeline Show So it's a loaded one. Let's get right to it. Let's start with the USHL. Jeff Johnson from the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Matias Samuelson left point. Gruden around on the right side. 1-0 U18. Stosny walks the line. Took the shot right on goal. They score! Farabee put in the rebound. And Farabee gives his grandmother a birthday present. It's 2-0. Hey, it's Joe Fairby from Team USA, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. He is a midnight mover. He can go on in the sunlight. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Dylan Larkin. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Kevin Shattenkirk. Goal! And James Van Riemsdyk were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Ooh, that's a bingo! <laughs> We are back on the Pipeline Show, and let's begin this week's episode with uh, a look at the USHL and see uh, what's happening uh, south of the border, south of our border. But uh, my guest is Jeff Johnson, who writes for the uh, the Gazette in Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, uh, Jeff. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate getting a chance to chat with you again. And boy, it's it seems like about a month ago you guys were having all sorts of windstorms. I know the the arena there in Cedar Rapids was damaged. Uh, have things calmed down a bit for you? You're you're telling me it's getting a little chillier, but I, I suppose you get, <laughs> you'll take that compared to what was uh, happening a month ago. Yeah, I tell you, that's uh, we had what they call a derecho, which uh, you know uh, essentially meant uh, a hurricane uh, on land. And, you know, I know the meteorologists out there would, would you know, uh, show disdain by me saying that, but that's essentially what it was an equivalent to. And, uh, you know, about 100, as high as 140 mile per hour winds for, for over a half, for over a half hour here. And, uh, you know, our community was basically, uh, devastated and, and still is, um, no question about that. We lost, uh, 
upwards of 65% of our trees um, here in, in, in town. And, you know, we're a city of 130,000, uh, you know, plus people. So it's been really tough and, and it did a number on, uh, on everybody and, and did a number on the, on the rink, as you mentioned, uh, uh, the baseball stadium as well. We have, we're affiliated with the Minnesota twins, uh, the outfield fence and a uh, huge light pole got blown over there. Uh, and, and at the ice arena, it just, uh, once uh, there's two sheets, uh, the NHL size rink and, and the Olympic sides, uh, rink and on and the Olympic side, it, it basically just blew a, a large hole, uh, on the Olympic side, um, that they're still trying to, you know, trying to fix, uh, blew most of the roof off the, the entire building, uh, Rough Riders, uh, room, locker room got, uh, flooded because the the uh you know the the alarms went off and 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 uh and water poured down so they've they've had to get lost most of their equipment team equipment so uh you know just a, just an incredible mess and and they're they're cleaning it up uh now I, I think they've got the the entire roof redone and they're just trying to you know see what they can do uh with the entire building and uh i don't i don't see it being available in early november by any stretch i think that's that's probably a little bit too much because it did some interior damage to some walls and uh concession stands and 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 things like that so uh you know if we do get a uh november 6th start is their plan and i would think the the rough riders will probably be end up being on the road here for for a little while and, and it'd be uh kind of interesting because the first year that they were in the ushl was 1999-2000 and they played basically the entire first half of their schedule on the road as waiting for the ice arena here to, to be completed construction wise so uh hope it doesn't get to be that bad certainly wow. but uh you know uh don't think it uh don't think it'll be ready by by uh by november we'll have to wait and see which you said there was two sheets of ice, one Olympic and one uh, North American uh, or NHL size. Which uh, sheet did the uh, the Rough Riders actually use more often? Yeah, they uh, they're they're it's basically their home is the NHL side. Um, you know that's uh, that's where they play all their games and uh, you know every practice minus when they're playing Waterloo, which which has a home rink that you know used has an Olympic size sheet. So. Uh, basically the the rough riders inhabit the nhl side and uh um you know that received some damage too but not nearly as bad as 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 the olympic side so i guess that that would be good news i mean if they can find a way maybe to to just open that side uh you know that that would uh that would be a great thing and uh you know hopefully we'll allow some fans in to to watch games we don't even know if that's going to happen yet so well and I know the uh, I think the league when they put out their press release about the return to play uh, uh, plan, weren't players supposed to start showing up uh, into the whatever town that they are affiliated with like mid September, and then uh, training camps and stuff and the exhibition would start mid October. So if if that's the case, if if that is uh, correct, uh, where would the Rough Riders start practicing at at that facility or at another rink in town? Do you know? Yeah. Um, it- I mean, that's all yet to, to kind of, to, to be played out here. Um, if, if they can't get into to their own rink, um, they have a couple of options. Uh, you know, back in 99, 2000, they, they practiced at, uh, there's a mall, uh, down in Coralville, Iowa, which is about, 
20 minutes south of Cedar Rapids, uh, and there was a huge, uh, it still is, a huge mall down there with uh, a rink right in the middle of it, right. basically. Uh, so that's where they always had to to, to go and practice. Um, and, you know, that they might have to do that again, at least the start of the season. There's also a, a brand-new uh, multi-purpose arena that's been built in the same town real close to, to the mall in Coralville that, uh, you know, they hope, that it, that is going to open here um, sometime later this month, and they hope to get a maybe a, a um, ECHL team in there to to play in in this facility. So you know who knows, maybe that would even uh, uh, maybe they could even work out a deal to, to to practice and perhaps even play a game or two in there if, if need be. So it's very everything's very much up in the air, not only league wise, but. Uh, you know, especially here in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, for there for sure. And uh, it wasn't uh, Des Moines also hit by the the same storm, maybe not to the same degree, but uh, the Buccaneers also uh, suffered some damage to their rank too. No. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know that uh, they play uh, in an old uh, in an old barn uh, that I love, just because it's an old barn. Uh, and they had some damage to to their rink as well, but uh, not not to the extent uh, quite of Cedar Rapids. So. I would think that the Bucks would be able to, you know, to 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 be able to to practice and everything, uh, you know, when the boys arrive. And you know, I think that would, in Cedar Rapids, I know talking to Coach uh, Mark Carlson, he said uh, he thought maybe uh, uh, they'd start bringing guys in in early October, a little later probably than than a lot of the other teams, uh, okay. just because of everything that's going on around here. Jeff Johnson is the uh, beat reporter covering the Cedar Rapids uh, Rough Riders for the USHL uh, at the uh, the Gazette there in uh, Cedar Rapids. He's my guest as we uh, chat about the USHL. Now, the league had posted their uh, press release, what, about six weeks ago, something like that, uh, with their expected plans for uh, starting the season in uh, on November 6th. When that came out, uh, what was your reaction? Were you thinking, yeah, that sounds about right, or were you – Taking a well, we'll see if that actually happens or not. Kind of attitude. Uh, I was a little surprised, to be honest with you, just because I thought they might push back even more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I mean, right now, for instance, you know, the COVID rates in, in Iowa are, you know, uh, probably uh, as bad, if not worse, than any other state yep. in uh, in the country here. And uh, you know, North Dakota and South Dakota are part of the league too, and and they've seen some spikes as well. But um, uh, you know, this is, this is their plan right now. They, they, you know, they want to play 54 games, regular season games. Uh, they've got, you know, right now, start date of November 6th and, and, uh, the end date of April 24, uh, 2021. Uh, so they've kind of, you know, back built in there that if they have to go that way, if they have to, to push, you know, maybe to a Thanksgiving, uh, start or even in December or something like that. So they've got, that you know leeway there uh but right now um you know this is the plan i know uh it took a long time uh to put it together and uh you know all the all the league owners uh and commissioner you know president tom garrity they everybody was involved in this and this is what they think uh is going to work best right now but you know again uh no schedules have been released for for any of the teams or or anything like that. So, uh, very much fluid situation. What is the rest of the sporting world like uh, where you are? Because I know up here, all the, the hockey leagues are all basically shut down. I know that out on the East Coast, where there is very little uh, COVID-19 uh, happening uh, in our maritime provinces, like just north of Maine, they're started. They've started playing preseason games. But, you know, Major Junior, where I am, they're, they've pushed it back to December just because of the cases that are here. 
but yeah. there are way less cases in Canada than there are right where you are. I mean, a, uh, our population, there's 35 million people in Canada. There's, what, three, just over three million in Iowa? And you have more cases than we do in our entire country. From the outside looking in, it's kind of confusing why it seems to be a push-forward kind of mentality instead of uh, trying to get things under control. Well, and that's very understandable. And I could sit here and talk politics with you and uh, how our government has handled or not handled this situation probably uh, for a good couple hours, but I'm not going to do that. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just it's I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. Uh, we have a governor here in the state that, um, uh, you know, uh, pushed forward with, uh, you know, baseball and softball over the summer for the high schools, for instance. We were the first state to to resume um, high school activity that way. They're playing all the fall sports here right now, football, uh, you know, volleyball, some, some swimming as well, cross country. Uh, so she's very much... You know, go, go, go. And, and, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. Uh, you know, whether that you think it's right or not, it's, it's certainly open for debate, but, um, you know, and then like you said, now you, now you might throw in, uh, USHL on top of this. And, uh, it's just, uh, I tell you what, it's, it's been, uh, uh, I can't even begin to describe it some days. You just wake up and you're, you know, it feels like it's an alter. You know, uh, you're in an, another world almost, yeah. but uh, we're trying to live through it and, uh, you know, and, and try and play sports through it, uh, you know, for better or worse, uh, I guess, right now. Uh, and, well, and you described it, uh, the situation there is, uh, it's in uh, just in Iowa, it's one of the worst situations in the, your entire country right now? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, two of the... Uh, where uh, University of Iowa and Iowa State University are, are located, they brought back all their students here within the last, you know, couple of weeks, two three weeks. Um, so that has led the two counties where those uh, institutions are are located. Uh, they've been like two of the top three or four counties in the entire world, or places in the entire world where you know the the rate of COVID is uh, is highest. Um, so, uh, I mean, that, like I said, it's just, uh, you know, you can think what you want and everybody has opinions, but, um, you know, they're trying, like I said, high school wise, they're trying to push through here with the fall sports. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing too, about the, about the USHL is it, it, it encompasses so much ter- territory, right? Yeah. From North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about all these different states, uh, you know, and you're trying to have a league with, uh, you know, league play with all this, uh, you know, with varying stages of COVID, I guess, where, where all the teams are located. Well, all right. Well, let's look at it just from a hockey perspective. Or can you at this point? I was going to ask you, like, do the Rough Riders look like they're going to be, a, you know, a competitive team this year? Or is there so much uncertainty? Just do you even know what the roster is shaping up to look like? Yeah, they actually uh, uh, they were one of the last, might even been the last team in the league to have a, a tryout camp, and that was uh, a week and a half ago. Uh, and they had to go all the way up to Minnesota to to conduct that. Um, you know, they had 80 kids in, and uh, you know, trying to find out rosters right now of any of the teams, it's uh, that's like the best kept secret in the entire world. Right, you, know, you just can't do it right now. But uh, you know, when 
you talk to, to Coach Carlson, I mean, he, he sounds very enthusiastic about, you know, the returning players that they have. And um, one thing they did uh, during the draft in the spring was intentionally um, not really draft European players. Just, you know, try because they kind of had an, in, you know, uh, a feeling that uh, COVID was still going to be around here big time. And it might be more difficult to get, you know, those European kids you know, into the States or even to want to come to the States. Yeah. So most, most of their draft was, uh, you know, American kids, uh, you know, with, with some Canadian kids, uh, in there as well, uh, certainly. And, uh, you know, I don't know it, maybe they'll be proven to be clairvoyant by doing that. <laughs> uh, you know, not having to worry about maybe some, some, uh, uh, kids, whether returning kids or kids from their draft that, uh, you know, that they have to try and find a way to, to even get into the country. So uh, maybe that maybe that'll be a good thing for, for them. There's been some talk about, uh, is it Iowa or Iowa State that's flirting with uh, going Division One? Um, how would that trickle down and, and affect uh, hockey, the just the, the grassroots sort of uh, interest in the sport in your state uh, if that was to happen, if there was Division One hockey in the state? I mean, I'd have to think it's all positive, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think it'd be great. Um, and it's University of Iowa, which uh, uh, has a very, very good club team, men's club team, actually, uh, right now. And, and um, that they, you know, that's been the talk around here for years, just because you have, uh, you know, a lot of other schools in that in their conference in the Big Ten that, right. uh, you know, have have the sport uh, and excel with it. And, uh, you know, the talk was was always, you know, uh, Iowa would, would get it maybe a men's and women's varsity program. And again, they have the new rink down in Coralville that they could use theoretically, but, uh, I don't know that that would, that's really a possibility right now with, with everything that's going on. They've had to, you know, with, with no football, which pays almost all the bills for the athletic department right now. I mean, they've, uh, they announced uh, a couple of weeks ago last week, actually, I think that they would had to, that they're having to, uh, you know, uh, get rid of some uh, tennis program, for instance, swimming programs, their varsity. Uh, so the money obviously won't be there anytime soon. So uh, as much as the momentum, and I think there was legit momentum to, to get a D1 hockey program in there, I think that's kind of unfortunately come to a screeching halt here with, uh, again, with COVID and, and the uh, the monetary issues that uh, athletics departments uh, in colleges here are facing. Uh, chalk that up to 2020, eh, Jeff? Uh, this year has just been—it's uh, been a—it's one been one for the records and not the good record books, eh? Yeah, I mean, it's 2021's just got to be better, right? Because it can't get much worse. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I think that's that's kind of what all we're we're thinking about here, you know, the pandemic and then the derecho, and you know, it's not much more. I don't think that that we can take, and anybody can take, so. All right. Well, let's hopeful. Let's let's hope we can get back to watching some hockey sooner as opposed to later, and that it all goes off without a hitch. I don't know if that's possible with the, the way you describe <laughs> things down there, but um, certainly appreciate you coming on. Wish you the best of luck. Stay safe, man. Yeah, you guys too. Thanks very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. That was Jeff Johnson from the Gazette in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, who was uh, recapping uh, the events of that massive storm that went through about a month ago, damaged the rink there and in Des Moines. Of course, we had to talk about the USHL start date and how how likely he thinks it is that they get going uh, in mid-October for uh, exhibition games and November 6th for the regular season. I'll believe it when I see it, when they're on the ice, I guess, but uh, I I just can't get my head wrapped around uh, a league in the United States starting 
uh, and uh, looking to play in the midst of a uh, uh, global pandemic that still has its uh, talons in a country uh, like it does in the United States. Next up, big news out of the Western Hockey League as the Brandon Wheat Kings have been sold. Uh, Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun, he didn't buy the team, but uh, he did write the story. Kelly McCrimmon selling the team to a local company. We'll get all the inside information next. Perry Bergson up on the Pipeline Show. Broken up and then taken by Prop. Threw into the zone. He's on a breakaway. Look out. Short-handed. Score! Three short-handed goals and a hat-trick for Brian Prop. Holy cow. Welcome to Flyers Hockey on this Sunday. Hi, this is Brian Prop, former Brandon Wheat King, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Prepare to be knocked on your ass. We're back on the Pipeline Show, and we'll have our uh, In the Dub segment. Of, of course, uh, you can stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League with dubnetwork.ca, but everything that's going on right now happens to be going on in Brandon, Manitoba, and that means Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun. Welcome back to the program, uh, Perry. Uh, I know your head's been uh, spinning, and you've been working your butt off again, as usual. Have you had a chance to take a breather yet? Well, I, I wrote three stories yesterday just to kind of queue up what was going on, and then I wrote a reaction piece today and talked to a bunch of people. So I think it's going to take some days off to, uh, to yeah. kind of blow this out of my system. Uh, all right. Well, for people who don't know the big news or have been living under a rock or maybe they're on vacation coming back from the lake, hey, the big news, the Brandon Wheat Kings were sold. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon, after, what, 20, I'm reading the story that they just posted, 28 years uh, as an owner with the Brandon Wheat Kings, uh, and uh, that has uh, changed hands. You, nobody has their the pulse of the Wheat Kings uh, more than you do. Did you see this coming? Has this been brewing for a while? Well, Brandon, at its core, is a very, very small town, and the rumors have been out for a month that the team had been sold. And a lot of the rumors did point to Jared Jacobson, who uh, owns the J&G group of companies, a Brandon-based uh, construction firm, and they have real estate properties and a bunch of other things. They run about 30 companies here in town. They had been uh, kind of fingered as the team or the uh, company that would probably buy the Wheat Kings, and that uh, turned out to be the case. There are a bunch of other rumors that were completely wrong, but uh, but that one they had on, so it wasn't a complete surprise to anybody here in Brandon, I don't think. 
What about the timing of it? Does it have, you know, is there any connection with, hey, there's a global pandemic going on and the league is uh, suspended at the moment, uh, has suspended operations basically? Is it just all of that kind of coincidence or does that play a role at all in the timing of this? No, absolutely. It it plays a role. And I, I asked Kelly about that directly. And, and he, you know, I, I don't think he was as concerned about the challenges maybe that the team faces in the near future. But he thought that in a trying situation like this, he needed to be on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, kind of guiding the team. And obviously that can't happen while he's working in Vegas. Now, I also asked him if there's any pressure in either league for him to divest. Because I had heard some whispers that there were some NHL teams a little crabby that, you know, it, it seemed like he had a farm team in the WHL. Right. And then, of course, there were some WHL teams unhappy. And when I asked him the question, he was actually surprised by it because it had never occurred to him. So, no, there was no pressure. Oh, that's interesting because I remember when he had first left uh, but was still the owner of the Wheat Kings but had left to take on a role with uh, the NHL squad there in Vegas, that that was kind of the discussion there was, is that a conflict of interest or anything like that? He never saw it that way and it was never really kind of brought up to him that it would be? No, no, nobody at any level forced him to divest. It was his own decision to, uh, to come out at this time. Okay, interesting. Uh, obviously, this is going to be a, a big change of the landscape of the Western Hockey League. Uh, there's uh, Kelly McCrimmon's been a part of this league for you know three decades or more, uh, and there's I mean there's we've seen some other big name people have left uh, over the the last uh, half a dozen years or so. There's still some of the big ones uh, left around, and you had a chance to catch up with some of those guys here this week too. Well, yeah, I talked to Bruce Hamilton uh, from the Kelowna Rockets. It was him and Tim Speltz from the Spokane Chiefs, and, of course, Kelly McCrimmon, and uh, also Russ Farwell with the Seattle Thunderbirds, were kind of guys that came up together. And uh, at the time, the league president was Ed Chenoweth, and he sort of mentored these guys. And I guess they were kind of told, look, just keep your mouth shut for right now. Let the older guys do it. But these were the kind of the smart young thinkers 25 years ago. And as those older guys left the game and left the league, they sort of took over. And as you know, you know, Speltz and McCrimmon and Hamilton were three of the guys really that had big voices at the board level at the WHL for many, many years. And now, of course, Speltz and McCrimmon are gone. So, you know, Bruce Hamilton said, Kelly McCrimmon's a close friend of mine. And, uh, you know, as, as hard as they compete on the ice, and even how McCrimmon would really work hard at the GM meetings to push forward a Brandon Wheat King's agenda, as every GM does, he said that at the board level, it's a completely different matter. Those guys have the league's best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And he said that Kelly McCrimmon was one of the real thinkers that helped push the game forward to where it is now. Well, let's be honest. There are owners in the league who are... I'll just say Daryl Cates here in Edmonton. He owns the Oilers. He happens to own the Oil Kings because he owns the Oilers. I don't know how focused he is or how much attention he pays to the the Western Hockey League. That's definitely was not the case with a guy like Kelly McCrimmon. So with uh, with Tim Speltz gone and Kelly McCrimmon gone, who are some of those other guys now that maybe fill the the void? Bob Torrey, I'm thinking Brent Sutter as well. Probably. I mean, those guys have been around this league for a long that long time now too. Yeah, Bob Torrey I talked to today as well because I thought he was another veteran voice in the league. And he made a really interesting observation to me that you just made as well, that sort of the family-owned franchises that characterized this league for many, many years 
are starting to go by the wayside and you're starting to see corporate ownership, like mm-hmm. as you mentioned with uh, Daryl Cates, um, you know, and that makes it tougher to say who are going to be the guys who take the helm in the years to come because you don't have those family owned businesses again where the owner owns it and is on the ground and doing everything, you know, as opposed to more of a corporate ownership structure. Uh, and who knows who represents the team at the board level then. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see who the leaders are that emerge in the WHL over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, what's the legacy that Kelly McCrimmon leaves when people think of the Brandon Weekings under his uh, tenure or his reign? Uh, I mean, there's so many players who have worn that jersey and have gone on to NHL success. But, I mean, the Weekings, when you think of junior hockey in the Canadian Hockey League, that's got to be one of the first teams that come to mind. Well, actually, the mayor, Brandon, said that, uh, you know, he, he's Rick is his name, he, how impressed he was that uh, Kelly had built the, the Wheat Kings into one of the preeminent organizations in the CHL. But in terms of legacy, I talked to two of the team greats today, and that's Matt Kelvert and Marty Murray. And uh, Matt Kelvert said a really interesting thing to me, I thought. He said, I think the biggest legacy he'll leave is the culture he built. For all the alumni, whether you're a Brandon boy or you're Braden Shen from Saskatoon or Ryan Craig from Abbotsford, B.C., you're proud to be a Wheat King and you carry that along as you go throughout pro hockey or whatever you do and whatever your career might be. You feel like you're part of something, and even when you're out, you feel like you're part of something. To me, that's what junior hockey is. If you want to be successful, you need to have that culture and you need to have that alumni buying in and always wanting to support you. And that's something that he created because he made it such a family-like atmosphere. To me, that's his legacy. He built a strong winning culture. I thought those were uh, really interesting observations by Matt. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a market like Brandon, where you are the big fish in in that market, I mean, you don't have an NHL team. There's no CFL team there as well. The Weekings were the big thing. Uh, the big the, they're the big show, right? And and Kelly, uh, I think, uh, really uh, exemplified that for for that market and for that franchise and just the, the, that leadership comes from the top and it has to, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's part of the reason I think that uh, you you see online that there's some Wheat King fans that are a little uneasy with the deal. But to me, you know, Kelly McCrimmon joined the Wheat Kings in 1988. There's a whole generation of fans that grew up with him involved with the team and he's gone now. So, you know, players come and go, coaches come and go, but Kelly McCrimmon was a constant with the Brandon Wheat Kings, and now he's gone. So there's some real uneasiness with what's coming next. But, you know, if you ask me what's going to happen next, I have no clue. It's not a hockey company that bought the Wheat Kings, but it's a Brandon guy who played some junior hockey himself, uh, swears he's going to stay out of hockey operations. Uh, he's just going to bring the business side to things. So... I don't know what's going to come next. Well, you know, it's going to be interesting, too, to see what unfolds here, both on the ice and then uh, in-game presentation and with the club itself. Well, that's where I was going to head towards was what to expect now. And you mentioned some of the fans are a bit nervous. But if uh, the new owner, Jared Jacobson, is is going to be hands-off, so who, uh, you know, how much of a role did Kelly still play? I know he was the owner, and and, uh, I think he was the president, too, before, wasn't he? Yeah, he's going to remain alternate governor, and he's going to kind of hang on as a mentor during the transition okay. uh, to help Jared Jacobson where he can. And I think you can't forget that Darren Ritchie, the general manager here, played for Kelly, was an assistant coach when Kelly was a head coach uh, when they won the league in 16. 
And those two are very, very close. And I have a hunch that if Darren Ritchie has a question and texts Kelly McCrimmon, Kelly's going to get back to him. You know, it's not like any relationships are getting severed here. Kelly owns a home in Brandon and is not leaving. So he's going to be coming back here. Um, but in terms of Jared, I, I think it, maybe it's his own words that uh, that I would use. He said, I think my biggest attribute to the team will be the business side. I'm definitely a hockey guy, and by that he means hockey fan. Yeah. I love hockey, but I'm not going to be the one to step in and become general manager for the, Darren, for the Brandon Wheat Kings. We have great hockey ops staff and Darren Ritchie and Dave Lowry and all the coaches and scouting staff. So that's, I think, exactly what you want to hear from an owner, uh, you know, that they're going to be hands-off in the hockey department. Now, when it comes to league meetings and things like that, not having a heavyweight uh, in Kelly McCrimmon, you know, being that voice for Brandon, does that change things at all for the Wee Kings uh, moving forward where they have somebody completely new? Uh, well, I think it's obviously going to take time for Jared to find his way, you know, at the board level. Um, you know, Darren Ritchie uh, was a new GM last year, but he's a well-known commodity in the league. I, I think he's probably comfortable going to the GM meetings and, and advocating for Brandon. But you're right. You know, they are not going to have the same voice that they've had for three decades. And how that shakes out, who knows? Uh, I think there's probably fans in some markets that uh, think the WHL was essentially Kelly McCrimmon's league for the last <laughs> 30 years anyway. But uh you know, maybe that's kind of overblown. When I when I talked to Dave Lowry uh, uh, earlier today, he just got off the golf course uh, in Alberta, and he was saying that uh, how much fun it used to be at the scheduling meetings, listening to Kelly McCrimmon and Richard Dirksen, who's the vice president of hockey operations, uh, spar about the schedule. He, he said he'll miss that. Well, and listen, Kelly only ran the Eastern Conference because Bruce Hamilton runs the Western Conference, right? Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So uh, Perry Brinkson from the Brandon Sun is my guest and uh, just doing a bang-up job by covering this story and uh, anything around the, the Brandon Weekings. Uh, let's turn our attention to the coming season. Um, penciled in right now for December 4th, a target start date. Uh, what's the mood like in Brandon and around the team uh, about that start date, because it seems like when it comes to the coronavirus, uh, things are okay in Brandon or in Manitoba in general, even better in Saskatchewan. Not the same in Alberta, BC, and uh, south of the border, though. So what's the feeling there? Well, actually, Manitoba had gone 13 days without a COVID case, and then things just went wild after somebody went to, to Eastern Canada, came back, and, and it started to spread here. So it's been very bad uh, lately. We're at the orange level in Brandon right now, this is a designation by the provincial government where you have to wear a mask everywhere right now. So I think people are a little uneasy. To me, these dates are kind of written in the sand a little bit. Um, remember, they had the October date earlier. Yeah. And uh, as you might recall, in the June press conference, when they talked about the October date, the commissioner, Ron Robison, said that for them to play, for this league to play, because it's a gate-driven league, they need at least 52 or 50 percent attendance capability in 22 markets, and of course that's four provinces and two states. Wow! Like I don't know. Can you see that happening on December 4th? Nope, I cannot. Uh, certainly not south of the border. Uh, although the mindset south of the border seems to be pushed through everything, and everything will just uh, work itself out. Whereas it seems to be. A, sort of a different attitude uh, north of the border in our country. But, um, you know, in, in a place like Alberta, I mean, what if uh, the, the divisions just play within themselves? 
for the entire year or for the first two or three months. Maybe there's ways around it, but it, it just seems to me the the travel between provinces, it's, I don't know, it's a, it, there's a risk there that I'm not sure a lot of people would be comfortable with. Well, yeah, and the other part of that, of course, is what if you are from a tiny Manitoba town like Surs or Minidosa or Nipah or something, mm-hmm. and you have the best Western Hockey League prospect in Western Canada, and he is the prospect of Seattle or Portland. You know, do you let your son go at 16? Right. Um, I think that's a discussion that has to be held in a lot of homes around Western Canada right now. Um, and then once they do go, it's going to be hard to get them back because everybody's going to be sitting uh, by themselves for a couple of weeks, you know, moving across the border, which is why I think the divisional play thing will happen if that's what, if they do open up on December 4th. Uh, now, do you cover the Manitoba Junior Hockey League at all? I've written some stories about them too, just because what else am I writing about? These days? <laughs> that's right. Well, hey, correct me if I'm wrong. They are pushing forward, aren't they? Aren't they supposed to be starting here in October? They are. They, uh, you know, have reset their date. Uh, they have actually, when I talked to the league commissioner there, he said the, the 11 clubs, they just uh, admitted a 12th one here in the last week, have kind of steeled themselves for the idea that this is not going to be a great season financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's troubling because these teams, like, it's not like they're getting 5,000 people, but even those three or four or 500 people a night, in a lot of those markets, that's what keeps those team teams afloat. And I don't know if you're going to be charging players to let them play or or what, but you know those teams could take a bath this year. Uh, disappointing for sure. Well, Perry, listen, I really appreciate you bringing us up to speed again on uh, everything that's happening in Brandon. A huge story there, and just a, a big big story for the Western uh, Hockey League and the entire Canadian Hockey League. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon selling the Brandon Weekings. Uh, thanks for doing this, Perry. We'll talk again soon. Awesome. Talk to you. Bye now. As always, Perry Bergson knocking it out of the park when he's on the Pipeline Show. There are a lot of really good reporters uh, covering the Western Hockey League. None better than Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun. And that is a massive story. And uh, if you've had a chance to read all of the work that uh, Perry has put into it, he's got a lot of reaction from former players and things like that. And what, what to expect moving forward. That was just a taste of uh, what he had to say uh, in this interview. Uh, great stuff, once again, from Perry Bergson. Two more segments to go this week. Both of them will be 2020 Draft Spotlight segments. We'll uh, start with Zach Ewens. He's a defenseman, played for the Merrimack Warriors, Merrimack College in the NCAA. We'll get to know him next here on the Pipeline Show. Coach Dibbon could not resist leaving Newhook out there. Newhook will wind up out of his own zone. He went from Newfoundland to Victoria last year, and here he goes. Wide around the corner. Newhook shoots, scores! He does it again! Hi, it's Alex Newhook of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a real dark side to it. Tell us more, bud. A world award-winning brown ale, Open Road, ale that will have you asking yourself why you've avoided dark beers all these years. Roasty and delicious. Play with comparable Zidane Chara, dependable and solid, and not to be looked past. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer and get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with... If one of y'all says some silly-ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch! Back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we'll turn on the 2020 Draft Spotlight chat with another player that is uh, eligible for the upcoming 2020 NHL Draft, which uh, the date has just been uh, revised as well. So October 6th and 7th now uh, for the 2020 Draft. And for this segment, we're uh, heading south, although he's a Canadian, he's playing in the NCAA. Zach Ewens from Merrimack College. Um, Zach, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. Yeah, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. And uh, I know this has been a, well, what what is the situation like uh, for Merrimack right now? Because it seems like every every player I'm talking to in the last few months is just uncertainty is sort of the, the theme. Uh, what's things like where you are? Well, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what's going on right now, where... We're a little bored right now, just staying cooped up in our houses, trying to sort of help fight this thing, I guess. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the future, we, we don't know when we're going to get on the ice, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, everything's, everything's a little hazy about when the season's going to start and all, all of that. So you guys haven't been able to practice at all. I know there are a lot of programs that have been practicing. Heck, uh, Alaska, the Nanix just had to shut down because they were practicing and uh, a bunch of them got covid so uh but you guys haven't been on the ice much together at all uh no not really um we've been we've been able to uh work out of the gym here separately um the gym on campus but no we haven't done anything as a team yet um i think it's yeah it's it's just to get used to all the all the regulations and stuff we have to do for covid um hopefully we get we get going here soon though okay and when it comes to academics are you you know attending classes uh on campus uh, with other students or is it all online how's that working right now uh it's sort of a mix of both we're uh a lot i know a lot of guys who have have in classes and uh and online um and i know some guys are all online um so it's it's a little different for everybody but we're we're sort of getting through it when it comes to you know when you're thinking about hockey and just the development and player development and what a long delay like this uh, can do uh, if you know side effects uh, in the long term Concerns about that at all for you, or do you kind of almost look at it? I know I had another player who said it's like having a, a long-term injury or something, but everybody has the same injury, uh, so everybody's kind of on the same page. But do you have any concerns about what this means to development? Uh, not really. I think it's all how you handle it. Um, I don't think I don't think it's a long-term injury at all. I think it's it's sort of an opportunity for us to separate ourselves here. Um, we're do we're going to do things that that other teams aren't willing to do. Um, hopefully in the stretch, and it'll make us better coming out of it. All right, Zach Ewens from Merrimack College, uh, the uh, Warriors, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, Zach, let's get to know you a little bit, and for the benefit of uh, the uh, people in the audience who might not follow college hockey a lot and and don't know who you are, let's get some background. Uh, I mentioned you're from Canada. Where are you from? I'm from Belleville, Ontario, a couple hours east of Toronto. Okay. Do you remember how old you were when you first started playing competitively? Uh, Competitively, I don't five or six i guess i've been i've been playing forever my dad uh my dad played pro over in europe for a couple of years and then came back um and he's been coaching me all the way through um and then i play i grew up i played juniors right around my house in wellington ontario in the ojhl mm-hmm. um and then i got recruited from there by merrimack and uh came down last year for my freshman freshman year now you're a defenseman have you always been on the blue line yeah it's uh yeah i've always been sort of in that defensive mindset i guess uh, my dad was a forward, and I'm a defenseman, so it doesn't really make sense. But um, <laughs> no, I've always I've always sort of been protecting my net before before trying to score too many goals. Is that just a comfort thing? It just felt a little bit more natural for you to to be in that sort of a mindset on the ice. 
a little bit, I guess. Like I, I, I think I'm a two way, two way defenseman, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's sort of a mindset growing up um, and you, you sort of stick with it. And then I think my, uh, my attributes as a hockey player really, um, they look better on the defensive side of the puck than offensive. All right. Well, in the OJHL with Wellington, you, you had some offensive numbers, and certainly last year as a freshman, 18 points in 34 games, pretty darn good as well. So maybe you're underselling your offensive upside a bit there. But uh, uh, tell me about uh, your your freshman season at Merrimack and how you felt it went. Um, I think as a team we did we did we did okay. We didn't do as well as I, I think we could have. Um, we we had a lot of we had. 16 freshmen come in, um, which is which is crazy, yeah. especially for hockey East. Um, but I think as the season progressed, we got way we got a lot better. Um, we were just inconsistent to start, and that then it ended up ended up hurting us um, come playoff time. I know there had been a lot of changes with the program, you just the coaching staff and stuff over the last two or three years. Does it just take a little while for everything to start clicking and start to gel? And I, I guess to some degree, you'd be looking ahead to this coming year to try to get off the ground running uh, a lot earlier. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think that happens with any big changes that happen in a program. But, um, you know, I, I think we have a really strong team this year. We're starting to click. We're starting to mesh. Um, I think the coaches' systems are starting to come into place. Um, the guys who were here before the coach came in are starting to get sort of get the hang of it. And we've got, mm. we've got 15 sophomore now. We're ready to go. Um, and then I know everybody's just, just ready, ready to go right now. Um, so we're. I'm, I'm looking forward to the season for sure. At what point did you uh, commit to uh, Merrimack? Uh, I committed when I was playing in Wellington my first year. Um, I think it might have been 2017. And what attracted you to the program in the first place? I, I know you have a teammate that also was a, a teammate in Wellington too, don't you? So uh, was that did that have anything to do with it, or who committed first? Uh, I ended up committing first. Um, I came down, and I I I, I just love the coaching staff. I love the the campus, I love the school, um, and I, I love the rink too. Um, I, I sort of just had a good feeling about everything about this uh, about this program. That was Declan Carlisle, right? He was your teammate uh, in uh, in Wellington. Yeah, yeah, he was my D partner last year, and he's actually my my roommate this year. Oh, well, really? Okay, so you guys are obviously good buddies. Um, so you re- you committed first. Did you play a role in recruiting him? Um, not really. Like he <laughs> he was. Uh, I talked to him about it for sure, but he. He definitely, he definitely came here on his own, his own will, and I'm, I'm glad he did. Like it's, it's been pretty cool having somebody, you sort of grow up knowing his dad and my dad are good buddies, and um, so he, he came to play in Wellington. We, we bonded there. He, he lived at my house for a bit actually, um, but yeah, now we're roommates in college, and it's, it's pretty cool. Well, that is cool, and you're both eligible for the draft this year. Do you, do you talk about that much? A little bit. Uh, it's just something exciting that hopefully. Uh, we'll both get to be a part of. Well, and you're both on the radar for scouting agencies. I think Central Scouting has both of you ranked. Uh, you know, there's a gap between the two of you, but uh, to to have to be on the radar publicly like that for, for people, that's got to be flattering. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it's pretty cool, especially, yeah, especially coming from a sort of a small town. Not many guys out of my town have, have sort of made that jump, and it's, it's pretty cool to sort of have that on the horizon, I guess. Now, interestingly, when you talk about uh, your defensive partners, um, he slightly outscored you or outproduced you, but uh, it seems like on paper there's a lot of similarities. The sheet I'm looking at lists you about physically the same size and, and stuff like that. Are there more similarities or differences in the way you and Declan play? Um, I think there's 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 a lot of similarities for sure. I think we play well off each other for sure. Um, we're pretty compatible in our games. Um, I think 
I've learned a lot from him over the years and I think I hopefully he's taken a couple things from me, but um, yeah, in the end, I think we've sort of both helped, uh, both helped each other make us into the players we are today. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You're both lefties, aren't you? Yeah. So who's, yeah. who's played on the offside? Uh, we try to switch it up, but he's, uh, he's, he's taking the right side for, he's taking the right side. He's taking that job on. Um, and I, yeah, I'd sort of stay on the left side and my, more comfortable, I guess. Oh, okay. Uh, now I know you, you, everybody's kind of been robbed uh, of their, you know, the NHL combine experience and what the NHL draft is normally like with the the big ceremony and all of that. Um, and of course, your the, the the season was cut short. Um, so what what what's been the last? Five, I guess it's almost six months now. No hockey. I mean, this is the longest off season in history for you guys. Uh, what that's got to be mentally uh, a challenge. A little bit. Yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit of a mental challenge, just not knowing when to sort of train, I guess, and ramp up your training. Uh, you usually ramp up your training right before the season starts to get ready. Um, but obviously, we don't know when that is. Um, so mentally, it's a bit of a grind, but you just got to you sort of got to stay locked in. You got to be, be willing to sort of uh, be flexible with, with everything that's going on. Um, and yeah, just, just make sure you're ready when the season eventually, eventually comes around. With no NHL combine, I know a lot of teams have been doing interviews online with, uh, with players. Have you had a chance to, uh, have a chat with a number of teams? Yeah, I've talked to a few teams. Um, it's always cool when, when you have, uh, ex NHLers and, and scouts calling you, um, yeah, at home. It's a, it's a little different from being in, in person, but it's, it's still really cool. Can I ask how many? Um, I can't put a number on it right now. I'm not entirely sure, actually. A few. All right, fair enough. Okay, so you don't know exactly when the season's going to start, or but you know about the draft, and because it's been such a long wait, does it almost feel like a, a bit of a, a marathon? You finally cross that finish line and, and put the draft behind you. It's or how do you feel about you know at least knowing when it's going to happen now? Yeah, at least we get sort of a solid deadline, um, unlike the season. So it's you're sort of just waiting for it. Um, Obviously, we're not putting we're not putting too much onus on it right now. We're we're more focused on our, ourselves and our our team here. But um, it, it's cool. It's cool to have something to sort of look forward to in these uh, sort of right now. Yeah, Zach, I should ask you about uh, the the Flint Firebirds had drafted you. I know you'd also been drafted by the Sioux Falls Stampede in the USHL. So you had other options before you went straight to uh, to college. Uh, obviously, if you went to Flint, you wouldn't have gone to college. But your path, were you always a college guy or did something happen along the way that, that maybe detoured you? I know a lot of guys that grow up in Canada are only thinking major junior for a while. Why was the college path the right one for you? Um, well, I, well, I grew up in Belleville. We had the Belleville Bulls for the longest time. Of course. Um, and then they moved on to Hamilton. But, um, yeah, I grew up. I wanted to play in the OHL. Um, I really didn't know about the college route. I didn't know too much. I knew it was there, but I didn't have really any information on it until uh, until my minor midget year sort of getting into that. Um, then I ended up getting drafted to Flint, went to camp. Um, and then I had, we had, we had really good coaching staff in Wellington who, who'd sort of a couple guys who'd gone down that path before and sort of helped me navigate it, I guess. Um, and yeah, in the end, I just put, ended up picking the uh, college road as I thought it sort of suited me best um, development wise. Interesting. Do you, so do you play that role now for younger guys who might be in Wellington or are you sort of uh, speaking up for college hockey? A little bit, yeah. There's always it suits different guys, right? Like I, I know I had to develop a little bit more until I was at that level where I could, where I could uh, step in and make an impact. And there's it, it's different for all guys, but I know I'm definitely, definitely uh, telling people to be open to the college route 
um, and not just not just look into the OHL. Now I should mention you're you're 19, so you're eligible for the draft last year. Um, so there'll be people who say, well, maybe it's a late bloomer situation. How do you feel about having that tag? It, it, do you think that's fair? Uh, a little bit, I guess. Like it was last year was an up and down year for me. I got injured. We uh, we did uh, we did well as a team, um, but I don't think I did as well as I personally as I wanted to. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a, I, I guess <laughs> late bloomer, late developer, whatever you want to call it. I guess that's that's a fair tag, but. Um, yeah, one draft doesn't define you, and hopefully something happens this year. Uh, that's the right attitude. Uh, the sheet I, I'm seeing uh, says six two and 185 pounds. Is that close to being still up to date? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I put on I put on five more pounds, five or ten more pounds. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty close. Okay. And is that a comfortable playing weight for you, or is is there part of you that still wants to try to you know get over 200 or something like that, or would that have a, a negative effect? Um, I, my skating is a big part of my game. I'm I, honestly, I've, I can't, I can't knock until I try it, but, um, yeah, I'm comfortable right now where I'm at. Um, and yeah, just <laughs> sort of looking to try and progress. And if I get up to 200, we'll see how it, see how it feels, but, um, yeah, I'm comfortable where I'm at right now. All right. Uh, lastly, Ontario guy, does that automatically make you a Leafs fan growing up or, I mean, I guess Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, not all that far away. So did you have influence from any of those teams, or did you reach in for somebody else completely behind enemy lines? Um, well, it's funny growing up. Like we, from for some reason, my my family didn't like the Leafs, so we, my dad cheered for Detroit, and I cheered for Ottawa. There you um, go. <laughs> I've come around to the Leafs. I've come around to the Leafs a little bit in the last couple of years. I always wanted to make a playoff push, but um, yeah, Ottawa Senators fan all the way. Excellent. Well, Zach, listen, I, I had a request uh, from a listener to have you on the program, so I'm happy that I was. Finally able to do that uh, for that listener, uh, and uh, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Thanks for doing this, and wish you the best of luck this season. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Zach Ewens from Merrimack College seems to be a, an interesting uh, cross. You've got a, an offensive-minded or at least a two-way defenseman. He's also got some size, uh, but a, a late bloomer, and uh, I think that probably puts some people off. Uh, but to me, I don't care. where He's not playing in the NHL at 19, so... He's probably not playing in the NHL until he's 22, 23. So what does it matter what he is uh, when it what he was like when he was 17? It's what he can do for you as a pro. Uh, Zach Ewens, interesting uh, prospect. A lot of buzz about him probably going somewhere in the third round. Uh, maybe a little earlier than that. We don't have that much longer to wait until uh, we find out for sure. October 6th and 7th, the updated dates for the 2020 NHL draft. Speaking of which, we'll close out this week's episode with another 2020 draft spotlight. Uh, I've been chasing this one for a while and uh, happy to track down German forward Tim Stutzel, or Stutzle. Still not 100% sure how you pronounce that name, but uh, played for Adler Mannheim last year. And when it comes to pronouncing his name, well, take a listen to this and you tell me. Stutzle, back to Sider, across the box. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler, slides it back across, they score! Hello, this is Tim Stutzler from Mannheim, and this is the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. 
view the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. It's the cheapest drug there is. We're back on The Pipeline Show and excited to uh, have another 2020 draft spotlight segment where we'll chat with another player who is eligible for the upcoming NHL draft, the dates of which have now just been updated October 6th and 7th for the draft this year. And uh, my next guest won't have to wait very long to hear his name. I think most people expect he's going to be one of the first three players who are... uh, chosen at the NHL draft. We're headed to Germany. Tim Stussel from uh, Adler Mannheim. Uh, welcome to the Pipeline Show. Tim, how are you? Hello. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm very good. Like uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy practicing in Mannheim and uh, yeah, it's been a lot of lot of fun, but yeah, for sure a tough, yeah, tough situation right now with the virus going on and still going on. So nobody knows when the season's going to start. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I appreciate you making the time, and let's we can start right there. I, I think the season is supposed to start, what, in about a week or something like that, but we don't know for sure if that's going to happen? In Germany, no, it's, uh, it's pushed back. So, uh, yeah, we don't know when it's going to start, uh, but, yeah, right now, uh, yeah, right now everything is, like, yeah, pushed back, so nobody knows. Very much the same over here as well for most leagues. What does that do for you just from a mental uh, perspective when you, I know you want to get playing and you're just practicing, practicing? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, like, I, I try to see the positive things out of it. So, uh, yeah, that's been a little, little bit tough right now. We've been practicing the whole time. So, for about five or six months already. So, uh, yeah. But I think uh, everybody wants to play as fast as possible. So, everybody's looking forward for the next game. And hopefully they're coming soon. Uh, how has it affected your training over the summer? Have the uh, the ranks been open uh, for a long time there? Like, were you able to skate three months ago, or or were they uh, were they closed for a long time? No, we had like a lot of off ice practice. So uh, a lot of off ice practice in the weight room, and uh, yeah, I think it was good for me to to build up a little bit more mass. So right now I'm heavier. Uh, I feel strong on the ice. So uh, winning more battles. That's actually what i wanted to so uh i think for me i just like positive out of it and uh i think it's going pretty well okay can i ask uh how tall and how heavy you are uh right now I, the sheet i'm looking at says uh, you're uh about 184 centimeters and 85 kilograms that'd be about six foot and 187 pounds but that might not be uh, up to date anymore what are you at now yeah i'm like something in between 6-0 and 6-1 and uh, 89, like 89 kilos. So, yeah. So probably, what, about 195 pounds then, something like that. Yeah, 195, 96, so something in between that. Tim, well, let's get to know you a little bit, and we'll start with the, wh- where are you from in Germany? What town did you grow up in? Yeah, I grew up in Tönnesfors. It's like a small town near Krefeld and Düsseldorf, so it's about 20 minutes from yeah from Düsseldorf away. Do you remember how old you were when you first started playing hockey? I think my first steps on the ice were with like three years old, and then I yeah I started in a like in a rooster like at a team at yeah four four maybe yeah. And have you always been a forward, Tim? Yes, yes. Never tried uh, on the blue line, or heck, never uh, <laughs> put the pads on or anything like that, even when you were little. 
Yeah, sometimes on the power play, I played on the blue line, but uh, yeah, maybe when I when we played on the street roll hockey, then I was a goalie sometimes too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, literally, yeah, everything. But uh, when you when you come to like uh, come to higher levels, I always were playing forward. Yeah, so of course, so it's a lot more fun to score the goals, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's also like good to defend the goals. So yeah, like both are positive, I would say. Now, did you play other sports uh, as a kid as well? I know, I know, football is probably the the, the number one sport in Germany, but uh, did, you were always a hockey guy, or did you play some as well? Uh, yeah, I played near to every sport. I would say, like, uh, I was also a soccer guy when I was younger. I played for nine years, played soccer in the soccer team, uh, and I would say I was not that bad, so I would say I was good. And yeah, but at the end, I think it was 100% the right decision to tie it for playing ice hockey. Yeah, well, it seems to be working out pretty well for you. Was that an easy choice, though? Like, how old were you when you decided, I'm just going to stay and, and only play hockey? Uh, I was around, yeah, 12, I think, 12, 13, when I decided just to play hockey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, at the beginning, like, for me, it was, I think, the easiest choice I made. Like, one of the easiest choices. Because I had all my best friends in hockey. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Definitely because my dad played hockey too a little bit when he was younger. I think that was a fact too. But at the end, I lost the sport from day one. But right now, I like to play soccer sometimes too. So uh, I like near to every sport, playing tennis, uh, golfing. So that's a lot of fun. Do you think playing other sports makes you a better hockey player? Yeah, I think so. Like uh, soccer when I was younger, tennis, like change of direction. Uh, I think so, yeah. I think it's very important to do other sports in summer too and uh, have fun what you're doing i think that's important too so i love doing other sports as well uh yeah for example playing tennis in the afternoon or going golf in the afternoon after practice i think that's very important tim susel from uh, adler Mannheim, uh, my guest here on the pipeline show uh tim the uh, the nhl draft we finally know when that's going to happen uh it seems like we've been waiting and waiting for well for a very long time uh, will you be pretty happy once uh, once October 6th and 7th uh, comes around, so you can uh, put that behind you? I know you're excited for the draft, but it seems like you haven't you've had to wait a long time for it to ha- actually happen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think everybody is excited. Uh, been, yeah, it's going to be a very big day, I think, for everybody who who gets drafted. And uh, I mean, yeah, for sure, you know where you're standing and uh, what's going on and what's happening. Uh, next season or you have to like you know where you're playing i think that's like a thing what i don't know yet so uh nobody knows what's going on and i think that's the worst thing but uh, at the end i think it was the right decision to push it back and uh, everybody can see playoffs hockey right now so that's great too and uh, yeah the most important thing is that everybody stays healthy and uh, yeah that's the most important Tim, are you are you a player that uh, likes to look at the rankings and and see where people expect that you'll be taken, or, or are you a player who tries not to think about the draft? I I mean, my goal was to get drafted as high as possible before the season started, so uh, for sure that was my goal. But at the end, I can't affect anything right now, so it's just on the team side, and uh, I can't do anything. And um, I just tried my best and tried to play my best hockey every night and every game and try to work hard in the practices and think it worked out very, very good. And uh, at the end, it's going to be fun to see where I'm landing. 34 points last year in 41 games with uh, with Mannheim. 
Uh, only seven goals, but 34 points. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of points, especially for a player your age playing against and with men. Uh, were you happy with the way you played last year? Uh, I, I think I could have scored like way more goals. I had so many opportunities. Uh, but sometimes the puck does, yeah, didn't want to, want, didn't want to win, uh, to end in the net. Yeah. Uh, that way, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I worked on my shot a lot during summer too. And I think I will improve that. So I need to score more goals. But in the end, I think that was my first season in a pro league. Mm-hmm. And I think I made a good job. But, you know, it can always be better. I was very ready for the playoffs. And I was looking forward. We had a strong team again. And I think we could definitely win the championship with that team. And we were a strong group in the dressing room too. So everybody was good with each other. So, uh, yeah, that was just a great year for me. And I will, yeah, I was honored to play with Ben Smith and Tommy Hutzelau, two great guys in one line. So that, that helped me as well, two veterans next to me learning from them. And, uh, yeah, that was great for me. Well, uh, fans over here don't get to see the German league uh, all that much. So, uh, for the benefit of, of those people, how would you describe yourself as a player? Obviously you're an offensive guy, but, uh, just looking at the stats doesn't always tell the whole story. So if somebody asked you for a scouting report on Tim Stutzel, what would you say? Yeah, I would say I'm more of a playmaker, but can also score goals. So my work ethic is pretty good, or very good, I would say. Uh, also in the defensive zone, I try to win many pucks. And um, yeah, I think I will improve my defensive play as well last season. Uh, I can play winger and center, so I can play both. I think that's good too. And um, yeah, definitely more of a passer. And um, yeah, always want to try to make games. I'm a skilled guy and a good skater. So, yeah. Well, we know the German league is a good league, and Adler Mannheim had uh, Mort Seider a couple of years ago, and he was a player who uh, was drafted very high. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, would leave and go play in Sweden or something like that, perhaps. Uh, Did you have an opportunity like that as well? And and if so, why did you choose to stay in Germany? You mean last season? Yeah, yes, as a a professional player. I had the opportunity to go to, to a college the college group but at the end my goal was to play against men and train against men every day and I mean Manham is an unreal organization and uh, they made the best I can that I feel good in that organization so uh, that was very very good for me and I mean to play with two veterans in one line and play with them every time and train with them every time I mean you can learn so much from them and I had great coaches they worked with me a lot uh, off the ice on the ice extra and yeah, that helped me a lot to get stronger to play against men. When you're talking about college hockey, w- would that have been in the United States? Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. What college uh, uh, were you considering? Yeah, I was committed to University of New Hampshire. So uh, yeah, I wanted to make the route first with school and hockey because I would say I'm yeah a good student as well. So uh, that was my goal first, and my parents also wanted that hmm. uh, to go the college route because. I have something in my back, but uh, at the end, I think it was the right decision to stay in Germany and uh, a very, very good decision. Very interesting. Uh, I I told you I'm here in Edmonton. Of course, uh, Leon Dreisaitl plays here with the Edmonton yeah. Oilers. Probably the biggest name in German hockey right now. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there are many, many names like Marco Sturm, uh, Martha Gotch, uh, so, so many names who, who played a good, good years in the NHL already. Uh, but Leon, I think with 120 points, I think he had last season. I think that's just unreal. And he was the top scorer. And I think many 
young kids are looking up to him. And uh, yeah, I wish him all the best for sure. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask was, you know, as a young kid looking up to a guy like that, was there some temptation to do what he did? He came and played in the Western Hockey League, and you were drafted by a team in the Western Hockey League with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Was that a consideration for you? I know you, you've already said you, your goal was maybe to play college hockey, but you wanted to play against uh, men at home. But was there a temptation to, to do what Leon Dreisaitl did and play in the Western Hockey League? Yeah, I mean, I got after I got drafted, that was for sure. And my like things to to think about what I'm doing that next season. But at the end, I think it was yeah a tough decision. But like I said before, it was I think the best decision I made. And um, I think for sure the the to play against men was the best best thing I could do. So I think that's that's good for me next season as well. Tim, do you think you can step into the NHL uh, right away? That's my goal, 100%. That's my goal. But at the end, I'm I'm going to do what the team want me to do. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what's going to happen. But that's definitely my goal. Uh, and did you have a favorite NHL team up to this point? I know whatever happens in October, that's going to change probably. But uh, <laughs> uh, did, as a kid, did you have a favorite NHL team? Did you get to watch a lot of the NHL? Yeah, growing growing up, my, my favorite NHL team was uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, because of Crosby. And so many good players, but uh, right now it changed a little bit. I would say it's more of kind of Edmonton side because of McDavid and Dreisaitl, two of my favorite players. So as a German guy, I need to go with Leon there too. So uh, yeah, I would probably say it's Edmonton. Excellent, Tim. Listen, I really appreciate the time. I've been uh, trying to set this interview up for a while, so I'm uh, I'm very happy that I was finally able to get you on the show. Uh, I certainly wish you the best of luck. Stay safe. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Stay healthy and uh, have a great day. Tim Stutzel, or Stutzler, uh, from uh, Team Germany and from Adler Mannheim. I have to give a shout-out to uh, Adrian Pareo from uh, Adler Mannheim for uh, helping me track down Tim after a while. He gave me a number for him uh, like months ago, and I couldn't connect with him, and I just kept trying and trying, and uh, even this week I had to uh, make a couple of calls. Of course, it's Germany, so I had to step into the middle of the night to get him uh, at an appropriate time there. Uh, but hey, you know what? It's all done now, and uh, I enjoyed that conversation a lot. Really interesting player. And, you know, I think most people expect he's going to be either the number two or the number three player taken. I know uh, uh, the guys at Elite Prospects, Cam Robinson and, and company, have him, uh, I think they have him eighth, which is definitely against the norm. But we'll see how it unfolds. I know watching some of the highlight reels, I know there's a big, it's like a 10 or 15 minute clip on YouTube. It's all from the uh, either the World Junior Championship or the Holinka Gretzky Cup. And uh, TSN's Gord Miller and Ray Ferraro, they were just raving about them. And yeah, the highlights look great. No goals, though, in that tournament. But uh, definitely lots to build on. And uh, even he himself said he's got to shoot the puck more. But he can definitely generate plays, and he's got a ton of skill. So watch for him on draft day. You won't have to. Uh, don't miss the start of the draft because you, if you if you miss the first half hour, he'll be long gone. And that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks to uh, Tim and uh, to, before that, Zach Ewens, as well as Perry Bergson and Jeff Johnson. As we uh, ran, uh, ran the gauntlet uh, today, USHL, WHL, a couple of... Uh, a draft prospects, one from Europe, one from the NCAA. So we we're covering a lot of territory. And uh, the show coming out a little bit later this week as well. Uh, but I think moving forward, it's just it's probably going to happen where the show does come out on Saturday uh, or a Sunday. 
most likely a Saturday. That's just the way it's working out at the moment. Next week on the show, uh, there'll be at least one, maybe two more 2020 Draft Spotlight segments. Uh, also thinking about uh, a couple of guests in particular. I don't want to jinx at the moment, but uh, scouting guests. So with the draft on the uh, near horizon now, finally, obviously that's going to be front and center in what we're talking about. But uh, also want to uh, explore some of the Junior A leagues in Canada that are getting close to returning as well. And uh, just check the temperature in those leagues and, and see where things are at. So lots we can still talk about, and we'll do that in the coming weeks. Until next week's show, remember to be kind to each other, and uh, thank you again to everyone who signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. Until next week, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya! See ya!